Welcome to Defan episode number <clears throat> 80, I guess. <laughs> we, are, we are at 80. Uh, and we are going east again in this episode and, uh, you know, going to my uh, my home country, as I say, motherland. And you know, Netherlands is my fatherland now. No, uh, no. It's where your, it's where your nethers are, isn't it? Yes, my nethers are in Netherlands now. <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't move it anymore. <laughs> Literally, my ass, you know, is in the Netherlands now. <laughs> Anywho, uh, welcome to Defen, episode number eighty. And uh, yeah, as uh, this is me, uh, Indian guy, in the Netherlands, and we have all the way from Belgium. Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, the Defen is an octogenarian. So am I. So you know, let's uh, carry on. <laughs> And then we have our special guest um, joining us at an ungodly hour from an uh, amazing country, the incredible India, Vedang. Welcome to the episode. Hello, 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 guys. Hi there. <laughs> so let's get started. Let's get, get a deep dive into, um, into Indian culture. And before, I think last time we did one Indian um, episode. <laughs> <laughs> if you can call it. So we started with asking, like, what is your favorite dish and favorite dessert and all that stuff? So I think we should start with food, obviously, right? Because India, you know, food, better food than Netherlands, obviously, you know, maybe, maybe even Belgium, you know. All, all the things I no. prepared to talk about, this was not one of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can talk about food for sure, but it's not like some smart answer. Uh, I, there's a sweet called Ukriche Modak, with, which I just had recently, which is quite good. So it's a very puneri, uh, sweet, uh, coconut-based filling, um, mm. which is absolutely delicious. And I, I, I think anyone who comes to India should definitely come to Maharashtra to try that out. You should, you should explain the words, right? Because you're, you're assuming that people know what is puneri means. Uh, <laughs> what is puneri? So Pune is the city that I live in, that I've been, uh, that I've grown up in. Mm -hmm. And uh, in India, like any part of India you go, the food is going to be drastically different. So mm -hmm. the the range is just like incredible. So uh, I am from uh, the state of Maharashtra and uh, the uh, cuisine is Marathi uh, here. Uh, and mm -hmm. uh, the dish that I named, which is Ukriche Modak, uh, basically a very bad bastardized translation would be steamed momos which they are not <laughs> <laughs> but but that would be like a close comparison uh, they are a uh, sweet and uh, they are uh, had at specific festivals uh, they are mm. supposed to be ganesha's favorite dish so lord ganesha ganpati and uh, mm -hmm. that's basically the uh, event when they are uh, made most often Ooh. so there was a festival last week was there uh, no, no, there was just me having a craving last week. So, oh, right, okay. okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it, it wasn't, it's not necessarily just for the festival, but it's definitely had during the festival. Yeah. So, you don't need a reason to eat, uh, you know, sweet stuff in India. You yeah, just keep yeah. munching on them every day. Right, right. <laughs> nice. Okay. Cool. On that sweet note, I think, um, um, Vedang, it's, um, oh, by the way, it's really a very nice name. I, I like that. It's abstract enough, but it is also concrete enough, right? It's like, it, it's just saying like, Vedang is not specifying which Vedang you are, yeah. but also saying you're part of something. So cool name, by the way. <laughs> what does it mean then? Because I don't get that. So what's uh, Vedang? So, so in India, uh, 
a lot of the names have meaning mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if this is true uh in the netherlands or in belgium i i don't know if names oh you don't want to know names. netherlands names <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, vedang basically is uh somebody who knows uh who encompasses the body of the four vedas the four vedas are uh-huh. the founding texts of hinduism right uh, right and, okay uh, yeah so vedang if you just break it up the word it's basically just veda plus anga and anga is body and veda is vedas so uh-huh. the body of the vedas basically Uh, so that's the name that's the meaning of the name okay so you you're kind of like like the equivalent of the bible in the west like the four books of the bible you're you're the four books of of the hindu religion uh so <laughs> if you if uh, if you get into the number of books in the hindu religion <laughs> yes, we're going we're going to yeah. spend a lot of time a lot time. of time right here so okay. there are four vedas then there are the two mythologies which is mahabharata and ramayana then there are 18 pura mahapuranas and i do not okay. know how many upanishads are there i have no idea yeah i think so, 32 are the principal ones and then they say yeah. at least the thousand upanishads and all that stuff like, yeah anyway i love we'll, we'll get the indian there. theology like it's so a, a yeah, yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i think it, c- compared to the other religions where it's much easier to have like one book and then finish it off but uh, i think india is more like a multiple religions i think maharashtra would be a different religion right pretty much if it is not part of the hinduism then the um, the ganesh thing would be a different um religion pretty much uh no so uh, maharashtra is majority hindu and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah i mean most of india is majority hindu but uh, maharashtra mm. is yeah where all the like learned brahmins and things like so pune for example has the name oxford of the east uh, oh, right so okay. it, yeah, yeah used yeah. to be the learning center in, during the maratha kingdom which was century mm. long 17th century 6 18th century i guess yeah 1700s 1800s so a lot of the a lot of the educational institutions and churches and temples and stuff are uh, around there yes uh, which is also the reason why uh, the software industry kind of uh, grew up in pune uh, hmm. so i mean apart from bangalore uh, pune has a pretty strong software industry because of access right. to uh, college students there are right. a lot of colleges okay. here yeah, yeah. So is it like a a university town as well then? Has it got that feel? Yes. Or is it too so, big for that? Uh it is now it's too big for that, but uh earlier it used to be a town for people to retire to uh and for university kids. So right. all all the <laughs> fancy people from, from Bombay. Bombay, yes, would retire <laughs> yeah. to Pune. And yeah. then university kids would be there to study. Uh, and then with software so now it's become Pune a and then and then enjoy your uh, life in uh, what is it lonavla or the the, the hilly area yeah. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah 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 uh, pune nice. is surrounded by hills on all sides basically ah right so, okay. so it's like the rome of india <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe not okay okay yeah, but it's like, but it's uh, it's a nice nice countryside and uh, lakes and because you got guess you're not near the beach Uh, no, no. I don't know. I'm asking. I don't but... know the geography. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, all, mountains on all sides. No beach, and uh, yeah, it it's used just, to be a... like nice strolling countryside. It's the skiing. <laughs> no. Well, there is if you travel, you know, north enough. You know. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Not in Pune. <laughs> not in Pune. Yeah, not in Pune. Probably. No, I'm joking about yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. I know enough geography. <laughs> <laughs> cool right. so um uh i think let's let's um you know obviously we'll come back to all these topics again and again during the course of our discussion so let's let's dive into 
uh vedang you know um you because this is closure podcast and then we'll get back to closure at some point or maybe now um, ah, great. so let's talk about you know your your journey like so where do you work and how did you get into closure you know the from 1700s until now you know how is the knowledge <laughs> has been transformed <laughs> let's 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 hear everything great great you will actually like this story vijay so um <laughs> <laughs> oh, one one member nice. of the audience well that's good you know, so. <laughs> yes don't tell me has it got anything to do with emacs <laughs> absolutely <laughs> oh fuck okay <laughs> so yeah so i i was a c isn't that a dead giveaway when they say you know i'm going to like it you know that's like yeah. uh, no you know where welcome, this is going welcome to the emacs section of this episode <laughs> 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 so i i was a c programmer uh c c++ programmer um and uh, systems engineering was a, a big thing when i was in college actually so most of the jobs in pune used to be around systems and i i had mm. a job in semantic uh but mm. everybody there used uh, visual studio and uh, my mentor in college had taught me emacs and i was very stubbornly uh, an emacs person <laughs> and uh Uh, I was so you coming started to, on the right foot man you started absolutely. on the right foot yeah absolutely yeah. i am very strongly of that opinion um <laughs> so i was coming to a point uh, in life where i didn't want to just copy paste emacs configuration anymore i actually wanted to understand what i was doing and uh, like i was at that point tinkering in my life where i wanted to really understand lisp um mm. now mm. at that point in time there happened to be a company called infinitely beta which one of my classmates was working in and mm-hmm. uh, this was a bunch of uh, common lispers who had so there was a company called clear trip in india there is oh yeah yeah that's one of the you know famous yeah. examples of lisp companies in india yeah so clear trip yeah. uh, was uh, i guess similar to expedia you could say uh, yeah, for yeah, listeners yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, it was really fast and beautiful and the engine was uh, common lisp mm-hmm. and uh, they were in the process of rewriting everything to java uh, because they had grown big mm-hmm. and mm. so these guys <laughs> left that company uh and they started their own new company called infinitely beta and the change they made uh, uh this was by shampayan ghosh and aditya deshmukh and nandan bakchi and people like that the change they mm. made was that they uh, moved from common lisp to closure and mm. uh, that was when uh, so this was in 2009 closure was fairly new at that time and yeah. they moved from common lisp to closure because it was on the jvm they just had the experience of people telling them that jvm is the future you know like not like we want to move to jvm <laughs> so so they they said let's start out with a lisp which is on the jvm and let's see where it takes us so they made this company and my friend reached out to me and all these guys were all uh, all emacs users uh, mm. because there was nothing else for closure <laughs> at that time i think yeah yeah and yeah. Uh, so i was like hey like i am going to get Emacs Lisp out of this for sure. Whether I get anything else or not, I don't know. <laughs> so F- finally, so, you can you can configure it yourself. Understand? Yes, it. yes. Yeah. So then I I joined that company and I loved Closure. I fell in love with Closure and yeah. Then I'm still there. The company changed its name from Infinitely Beta to Help Shift. Uh, ah. But yeah. So that's basically 2010 to. So now. this is uh, so how how long is this? This has been. Uh, infinitely beta slash help shift so how long have you been working for them now uh 11 years now so i started in 2010 oh, cool. and uh, okay. right right company started in 2009 uh, okay so, yeah. nice. so when i joined so, we were like less than 10 people so. yeah so i don't want to pound so, so, but do you have uh, a good emacs setup now yes absolutely so. <laughs> <laughs> 
after after 20 years yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've, you've reached enlightenment then you know the path towards emacs <laughs> enlightenment has been you know, a rocky one by the sound of things but you're finally getting there so well, then, he just said he's the he's the body of knowledge so you know yeah 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 you know, additional uh, information from Emacs. I mean, he, he comes with, in India, we say everything is in Vedas already, you know. So I'm pretty sure Elisp is also in Vedas. <laughs> <laughs> or so, at least yeah. recursive grammar. I'm pretty sure it's there. Anyway, but tinkering, um, but tinkering with Emacs is like what I do when I'm bored, basically, right? So everyday thing <laughs> is like, oh, if I'm bored, let's do, let's look at some new package and let's try something else. <laughs> <laughs> and then break everything and then restore and everything. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Git reset. <laughs> Anyway, so it's been so almost uh, ten years of closure, and um, so how did you how did you see closure uh, growing or evolving? Um, let's talk about from Indian perspective, right? You know, I think we we were just chatting before we said uh, we'll begin the episode. Like, you know, uh, statistically speaking, you know, just by by sheer numbers, for every programming language. There should be more Indians working in them, yes. <laughs> given the given the amount of people there. So, h- how is it there right now? In, in the and how did it change in the last ten years? Uh, you know, putting closure as okay. a, at the center. Um, so when we started, there were very few closure uh, programmers in mm-hmm. India. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we were there, and then there was I think there was uh, Devashish Ghosh who had written a book called DSLs in Action. Yeah, and yeah. there was Amit Rathod who Wasn't had a he the scholar guy though. Debashish. Yes, yeah. yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. But uh, his book had a little bit of closure. Amit also wrote a book, right? Right. Uh, I think so. Programming closure yeah. or something like that. I don't closure, remember yeah. the name. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they were there, and then mm-hmm. I think around 2012-13, Nilenso started, uh, which is a consulting firm, which is quite like is doing really well even today. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there were a bunch of like C42 was there, which I think also started around the same time, which was bought by Gojek and became. Uh, the leadership of Gojek, and yeah. I believe they were also doing closure. Though I don't know firsthand, mm. but I think they were also mm. doing closure. Uh, Staples was there in India for a while. They were hiring out people who were doing closure. So mm. it's always been in like small pockets. It's it isn't as non-existent as people think. Uh, one of the things that I have seen happening is that a lot of our programmers. So we mm-hmm. uh, today we have like maybe thirty thirty five closure engineers in Helpshift, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least 30 35 people have like learned closure at helpshift spent a good 4 or 5 years and graduated mm, right yeah. and moved on to other companies and these guys yeah. have moved on to a lot of places in europe and mm. uh, outside india so that's another mm. like it, the number of indians doing closure probably is larger than is immediately obvious there just yeah. aren't great big examples in India that we can say that okay, yeah. here is a giant company right. that's right. that's closure. Like, so it's more we don't spread have out impact. around Indian Indian diaspora rather than just continent, you know, subcontinent of India. That's right. That's right. So yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and how how is um, uh, specifically in India, for example, um, is the closure thing pretty much concentrated in and around Pune, Bombay metropolitan area? Do you have different companies doing in Bangalore or maybe in the north, uh, in Noida or Delhi or Calcutta. I mean, how, how is it there? I know of a bunch of people who are doing closure in Pune and Bangalore. Uh, mm. But outside of Pune and Bangalore, um, I'm not uh, very aware. Like uh, There are a lot yeah, of companies yeah. in Delhi, but Delhi actually is not uh, it's not something that I am aware of. So I don't know if yeah. they're doing closure or not. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so I mean, you know, one of the things it's it's in, well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I guess a lot of maybe I'm mischaracterizing this, but I think a lot of Indian work is is kind of like contracting to European companies or American companies. So, I guess some of the tech choices are driven by by those companies rather than necessarily by the employees that are working for them. So is, uh, that, yes, is, that, yes. is that one of the kind of reasons why the kind of like homegrown closure um, community isn't as big as? as yes, yes absolutely. So product, product companies are, are uh, in their infancy in India. Hmm, hmm. So India was mainly a services industry uh, for a while. Yeah. And uh, today we have a lot of big product companies, but you can think of them as uh, copies of successful product companies in the U.S., Right. Mm -hmm. So US has Amazon, we have Flipkart, US has Uber, mm -hmm. we have Ola, things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Big companies yeah. which uh, have copied successful models. I think we are at a point in life where you'll soon start seeing Indian companies, product companies, which are uh, coming up just to solve Indian problems. Mm. Yeah. So then, like, I think that focus will shift a little bit more towards more esoteric languages. So mm. I know for sure that, like, I know people who are working in Erlang and Haskell and uh, mm -hmm. Elixir. And these languages have a little bit of adoption in India. It's not that mm -hmm. they are completely non-existent, but uh, we don't have like you won't. I at least I don't. I'm not aware of like uh, open source stuff coming out of here or people giving talks about it or driving the direction of of any such thing. So yeah, I think yeah. that's missing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, for Haskell, I remember reading about one company from Chennai called Hasura or something. I think they were doing like a Haskell container stuff, something, something like that. I think the I was I was really happy to see like oh there is Haskell stuff in in India like super cool. So right. um, I think because we're talking about different product companies and everything, it'll be nice you know to to explain what you what you guys do like your product, uh, you know what what kind of product you're building and what does help shift mean and who, when did it become when did it break the infinite beta and then became. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> became RC and then product. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what Helpshift is, is uh, the the business terminology for it is in-app CRM. Uh, so basically, mm -hmm. we provide an SDK to mobile app developers. And the pitch is that if you're an app developer, and you think your end user is going to have a problem uh, and they're going to need help, then uh, we you need our SDK in your app. All right. Mm -hmm. Uh, so this SDK provides an interface, a WhatsApp-like interface to the end user. When the end user says, I want help, he gets mm -hmm. a chat interface and he uh, chats with uh, the support agents on the other side, right? And the support oh, agents on okay. the other side get a Gmail-like interface where all these issues are coming up and they're answering uh, the problems. So that's like the simple, uh, what do you say, thousand degree view of the whole yeah. product. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, how we got here from Infinitely Beta is like a long story. We did a bunch of pivots and we tried a few things. We started out doing something called Paisa.com, which was mm -hmm. uh, uh, going to be for portfolio management. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we had, like, we, we found we could not compete with the existing uh, incumbents, like money control and stuff like that, because they had yeah, yeah. A real financial advisors and media teams and things like that, right, which right. we did not have. And then... So we said, how do we compete with this? And at that time, Quora was really big in India. So mm -hmm. what we did was we said, okay, let's create a Quora-like thing for PESA where people can like help each other by asking questions and answering questions. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So we we created something called Ask, right? Ask PESA. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. 
that became like quite popular uh, and then our investors said that hey like this is a great thing you should just do this for the enterprise right mm, so right. then we moved moved into something like cora for enterprise uh, which yeah. also i think there was a company called yammer which was also doing something similar yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then from there uh, the whole thing was that okay what is needed is like customer support like when people come to enterprise they really want customer support and there are yeah. too many solutions on the web that are already doing this right mm-hmm. but nobody's doing it for mobile apps this was in like 2012 and mm-hmm. uh, mobile apps were like they weren't even that big of a thing in india at that time mm-hmm. so i remember uh, the f- co-founders of the company they went to the us and then they came back and they're like the future is mobile apps and everybody is going to yeah. be doing mobile apps and we need to be doing support for mobile apps and uh, that's basically when we uh, pivoted and that was where i think we found product market fit so we kind of mm-hmm. really found revenue and product market fit there and we kind of started growing so we have nice. stayed with that for the last 8 years yeah so Excellent. it's a bit it's pretty a long time thinking in terms of closures adoption evolution right if you started in almost like 2009 2010 let's say 2010 that's uh, I think that was still when uh, well we didn't have cider it was still slime I think yes yes slime um, and slime emacs with slime yeah yeah, yeah. lining and just started up or maybe even lining and wasn't there I'm not sure because when I started it was still closure main so there was no lining and um so how did your tech stack evolve over the period and and how old is your code <laughs> Is, is there something that hasn't been touched for 10 years and then it's still yes. there? there there are things which have been have not been touched for 8 years at least so oh, what wow. what what happened was so these pivots kind of were like resets right so we could just throw everything mm-hmm. away and start from scratch so those were yeah. like great points for starting uh, with new technology uh, mm-hmm. and then adopting things like line engine and uh, all the new things that started coming up protocols and stuff like that right but um, once we found product market fit then there wasn't no there was no going back and resetting and starting from scratch right right, right. so yes. there are parts of the code which uh, are old and have not been touched they just work and that's testament to closures uh, strength as well actually you can just keep upgrading mm-hmm. closure and things will just continue working right uh, yeah. so we don't like today we are a line engine focused uh, company like we don't we don't do devs.eden right because mm-hmm. we Yeah. have not found a way to adopt it so far like things just work for us so that is yeah. one of the problems that you have with like long running code bases where you kind of get stuck in the patterns of the time when you were uh, when you were doing this work like you need conscious thought to move towards newer stuff which which can be hard mm-hmm. yeah. yeah but maybe maybe it's also a question of you know because you because everything is kind of working for you there has to be enough of a payback to justify the investment exactly and yes. i guess if you're starting from scratch you might look left and might look right and you can make a choice but if you've already committed to something then why change really you have to have a good reason that's absolutely right that's actually it's really hard to um, make a good business case for like trying out new tooling hmm. uh, when the old one works perfectly fine so yeah. that's that's something that's a problem Yeah. I mean I guess the 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 only th- for me the only thing that I thought that I mean not the only thing but there was the major thing that depths.eden brought was this um ability to pe- to depend on a git sha uh, rather than a maven artifact you know and again you know if you don't need that then I it's difficult to go to that next level you know with with yeah. learning and you can do that now right I mean you can also do that with learning and 
I think there is I a mean, plugin or something. No, I'm I sure. mean we have we have just never felt the need for it, right? So if yeah, you want to yeah. do local development, then Line Engine has that with like uh, local install and uh, class. Yeah. Uh, uh, what is it yeah, called? Class path checkout, 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 sorry, checkout. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So those things are there, and uh, mm. if you uh, are ready to publish an artifact, you're ready to publish an artifact. So you generally mm. don't want to pull from a Git shell. Mm. So that that. I mean, we haven't hit that use case. I'm sure there are people who have, but we haven't. Sure, yeah, sure, yeah. And and so um, because you you are almost like 35 people, and um, obviously most well, pretty much everybody working in closure. And how difficult has it been to find? I cannot say closure programmers because, as you mentioned, like there are not many closure programmers available in India. Uh, how did you transition people into writing? Uh, closure code, especially when when you have a, I'm assuming reasonably large code base that you have, entire company running on on closure. So how did you find people? Um, what kind of attributes that you looked for to bring them into closure? That's that's actually a great question. So we we have around seventy engineers actually, uh, but we have a big mm. SDK team, big front end team. They don't do closure. Wow. Uh, okay. So closure is only on the back end uh, and mm-hmm. in the data platform basically. um we in in so many years of existence we have not been able to hire anyone who already knew closure like we mm-hmm. just haven't found them so we have, have to apply pe- them a <laughs> <laughs> pe- lot of people have come to us a lot yeah. of people have come to us who have who are interested in learning closure so they have approached mm-hmm. us because they want to learn it and that has happened but but in most cases it's just uh, people who want to work and uh, then we have to train them we have to teach them Mm. Uh, mm. so it was it was very hard for us to find senior engineers so mm. we went down the path of just hiring out of college and growing engineers mm. so we we mm. have spent a lot of like our time on onboarding and mentoring and teaching as a full time job and uh, fleshing that out that aspect out and yeah. uh, it, it's a long investment and uh, it it pays off but because like you know people get molded according to the culture they really mm. have that ethos and things like that but yeah. it's a big problem with with closure for us uh, which is that it isn't easy to just say okay let's hire five more people it just doesn't happen hmm. hey i have the pun now so you are helping people shift into closure yes absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yes we have i just thought that. about it <laughs> nice but so it, is, it is, is that something uh, yeah. so before we move on i mean is that you know you say you can't like just hire five people the the program closure so is that constraining you or do you find like within a fairly short period you can get people on board and they're productive or you know what's the story there uh so we have really worked hard on our onboarding so mm. i remember uh, earlier it used to be like 6 months for somebody to be productive because mm. that at that time in a point in time they had to learn emacs and closure right <laughs> so yeah <laughs> So that was just like and they're set for their life. Correct. So that that's and that's not a prerequisite then, you know, you must know Emacs. <laughs> if you don't know closure, so, that's fine. You know, if you don't know Emacs, fuck off, you know. Like, you know one of one of these um one of these uh, philosophical schools, I think it's probably um Aristotle school or something. There is there is to be a sign or at least they say that there is to be a sign let nobody enter who doesn't know geometry or something so your your company has a has a thing like let nobody enter who doesn't know Emacs. <laughs> Yeah so because i mean there wasn't like there wasn't tooling outside of emacs for closure at that point yeah 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 right for, for right. Long time, yeah, yeah. yeah and then uh, we had like intellij i um, mean cursive 
and uh, yeah. now we have vs code and a lot of the new people mm-hmm. prefer that and they use that mm. uh, so we cut down that onboarding time from 6 months to 3 months from 3 months currently it stands at like 1 1 and 1/2 month uh, where people yeah. join the company and then they are productive So if uh, I can just if I can sure. just summarize then Emacs is not very productive and cursive and VS Code is very productive that that's what we're kind of summarizing that yeah No the thing so, they cut yeah. down <laughs> is on the closure onboarding not Emacs onboarding so Emacs onboarding was always a week rest of the time was because of the closure tooling support I don't know about that it seems like it's going from 3 months to 1 month and that's more than a week but okay <laughs> you know I'm not a mathematician fair enough you know <laughs> so the way I look at it is that Emacs is like the the really steep curve that you have to take time to learn and then you can right, fly right. for the rest of your life Okay. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's that's basically the way I yeah. look at it. Yeah, no, it's uh, uh, it's yeah, it's funny. Okay. So so what is the got better tooling what, what, now? That's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so better um, better onboarding. We focus quite a bit on that. Uh, yeah. Hmm. But it's it's hard to uh, get uh, senior engineers, right? Uh, yeah. Because they like one part of senior engineers is they rarely want to change their uh, stack. their tech stack because right right yeah, yeah i have invested 8 years of my life in this why should i change to something else blah blah yeah. blah right so that's one thing which is it's hard to convince them to try something new and that you know when you learn this you're, it's going to change your life or you're going to find something in, worthwhile to learn here yeah. right so that's hard and yeah. then it's a matter of like you know they have to stick around for them to make an impact so they have to onboard yes. they have to really like yeah. learn new yeah. things So yeah, it's hard for sure. It's hard. It's a bit of a humbling experience, basically, isn't it? And uh, but I think you know, most uh, for me, if you if you get a good senior engineer who kind of really knows the 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 landscape of technology, then the language should be a small part of that, really. You know, because a lot of the like the domain of computing is not in the particular stack or in a particular language, is it? Right. So there are. a uh, few people who will say that okay these are challenging problems that i want to solve and mm, uh, right and then they'll do it in whichever language they need to do it in mm. right uh but that is not like my experience so far like in terms of hiring it's a it's a little bit hard to convince people about these things uh yeah they really have to see that it will be great for them that it will be yeah. something that and i think this is a problem with closure in general that the closure community kind of needs to talk about which is when there was hype around closure we did not have this problem right mm-hmm. because people would say that hey like i'm going to spend some time learning this and it's going to go on my resume and i'm going to get lots of job offers from lots of big companies mm. right but uh, now that closure is not like the cool kid on the block uh, that kind of is hard as a selling point right so i think closure has joined yeah. the Uh, the family of like haskell and erlang and things like that where yeah it's yeah it's not it's it's, it, it makes sense in a, in a place like um uh, in a place like india or or anywhere else i mean because even here if i say okay you know come on work in uh, closure for me then um, people are thinking about the next job as well right because if if i'm in india for example there are like four companies that i can apply for versus 20000 companies that i can get my career by writing java then it it's kind of a no brainer to see that you know okay i'm going to spend 2 years on a language which i can only move from help shift to nilenzo to gojack and that's pretty much <laughs> it, my 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 limitation and if i do java then there is practically you know for street there are like 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 
chai wala jaisa you know like there is just you know tea stall level <laughs> software <laughs> companies there are so many yeah. you know so it's also like a career thing right and um that that would be my guess like yeah i'm going to invest learn new language and i have to relearn or unlearn all the stuff that i have so far right and it feels like a um retrograde then you know i'm progressing in my career so that that could be one reasons i think yeah so we have mm-hmm. to like tell them that hey like things you learn here will help you in whichever programming language you are going to use right exactly yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, that kind of sticks uh, like that people like i have had people come to me and say that okay i really agree with you like this is something that's changed my life even in java like not just yeah, in yeah. Yes. closure but even in like this immutability and uh, uh, everything being data driven uh, these yeah. two are really strong really strong points so they yeah. and they aren't really something that java developers are used to yeah but i think it's it's also helps uh, it also helps that um, other languages also started talking about functional programming especially java you know the lambdas mm-hmm. coming in mm-hmm. and because at one point all this functional programming was just haskell or or scala a little bit and then closure pretty much right and the code and code mainstream languages like java or even rust and you know well rust is pretty new but other languages are not talking about functional programming that much but then suddenly there was a bit of a um slow um how do you call upgrade of these languages into functional paradigms and then then you see the patterns everywhere like oh okay now what i'm learning here is is going to be useful there i i think event driven paradigm uh, the growth of event driven systems yeah. kind of brought this about right mm-hmm. so this renewed interest in functional programming because event driven also has this data flowing through functions kind of a feel yeah, uh, yeah. to it and uh, mm-hmm. in fact like like i find so we didn't consciously choose an event driven architecture we just ended up at it in help yeah, yeah, yeah. because mm-hmm. of the way that we wrote our closure code like uh, that's something mm-hmm. that uh, was quite interesting for me to look back on so initially yeah. when we wrote our closure code it was so bad it was so bad because we took this whole functional thing to the whole extreme case right where even like database updates were wrapped in individual functions so you would have mm-hmm. individual functions which were doing updating individual parts of documents which was the stupidest thing that anybody has ever like done <laughs> right <laughs> and yeah. uh, then we were like dude this is like terrible who is why should why are we doing it this way and but uh, you're like who wrote this oh wait that's <laughs> yeah, me me oh, yeah <laughs> which so, idiot yeah. thought of this oh i did <laughs> shit god damn it this is stupid okay get blame oh fuck it's me <laughs> yeah stop doing get blame <laughs> So anyways uh, that was so we we wrote uh, the initial thing we wrote was like a thrush model uh yeah. pipelines basically pipelines and closure and yeah. uh, we used to do all the really critical stuff one after the other uh and then for all the non critical uh things like sending out metrics and sending out the event to some other place and blah 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 we used to have like mm-hmm. a giant future which again was a pipeline so we used to spawn a future right. and in that future there was again a pipeline and mm-hmm. that caused a lot of problems as we started scaling up uh yeah. and then we were like hey why are we doing this in a future we should just like make these independent services and just emit events and mm-hmm. uh, uh, that kind of just like came naturally and then we figured out that oh okay this is what event driven architecture or event sourcing or mm-hmm. all those yeah. things are so so what what do you use as a as a mechanism for like for transmitting events between services kafka 
you use Kafka. Mm. Of course you do. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I would like to say that we uh, took a bet on Kafka early on. So yeah, I want yeah. to just be that we were one of the first ones <laughs> who were using Kafka <laughs> out there from 0. Point whatever 0.8 or 0. 0.6 or whatever Kafka version was. The yeah, yeah. And that was the early versions. Yeah. So, so what is, um, with all this experience of large, uh, you know, very large closure code base and everything. So uh, can you touch a bit upon both sides of it? Like, uh, you know, what is, uh, you know, unicorns, pooping rainbows, everything is awesome. And then <laughs> what is like, okay, this is shit. And this, this is, this could be way better if we did it in C, you know? So, <laughs> but, so can you give us the two sides of uh, larger closure code base and, and pain and, you know, good yeah, stuff absolutely. and then not so good absolutely. stuff. Uh, so on the unicorn side, I think everybody talks about this. Repl-driven development really is like a game changer, mm. right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, also all the patterns it it kind of teaches you uh, to think in terms of data. Uh, it really helps with testing. So for example, in our case, uh, one of the surprising ways that we found our developers were testing was that they were just sitting with each other and they were creating uh, uh, these arrays of data right? Like user logs in, user does blah, 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 blah. And then they would just like test it on their machine. Then they would say, hey, this is not working. Give the array of data to somebody else or on group chat or whatever. And that other person would run the same test on their machine and say, okay, let me debug this and figure out what's happening. So they built systems for testing, which were fully data driven, simply mm -hmm. as a side effect of like doing it on the REPL. Mm -hmm. right it wasn't like we later we realized hey this is a great pattern like if you write tests like this they become easily reproducible and you know easily yeah. debuggable things like that and uh, so that that is like one end um, of it uh, uh, oh uh, one great thing like when we were a startup when we were like uh, when we had like eight nodes I remember eight was the limit I mm -hmm. used to be connected to all eight production ripples at one time from my Emacs <laughs> right so yeah. I have literally had this situation where like our CEO was demoing this in San Francisco somewhere and uh, something was wrong and he called up and he said, you guys have written shit code. It's not working. My <laughs> demo is failing in front of investors. <laughs> right. And we yeah. said, wait, 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 just give us two minutes. And we added like defs inside the code and uh, hot patched everything. Yeah. And then we said, okay, run it again. And then we captured that input and we debugged it, fixed it. Then we said, okay, run it again. It's going to work now. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this was done in like 15 minutes. And uh, the investors were super impressed that like, okay, like this is the pace at which these guys are deploying to production. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that was, I, I really miss hot patching in production. I think hot patching in production <laughs> was like, super bad. So you don't do that anymore. <laughs> we couldn't do it. Right. I mean, I, yeah, we, yeah. <clears throat> we were at a point where we had made rules like, if you hot patch some code, then you have to announce it and you have to make sure that you create a tag before you go home yeah, that yeah. day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the announcement has to be like, Hey, I have pa hot patch code. Please don't deploy because you know, if you deploy, you'll break whatever I have hot patched. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's just not scalable. It, it can't work. That's true. So I think it's really fun. CICD when you're debugging. quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I think it's fun when you have uh, a system where um, it's continuously running and there is, you know, the the only way to build the system is, you know, in, in the old Lispers way of organically building the whole system. You know, there is always something running, but yeah. the world is not the same anymore, I think, yeah. because you, you want reproducibility, you want, you know, uh, proper history of things. And that yep. then, then it's, it's fun to do, but I, I, 
it's it's more or less like you know going into a server and on ssh and then modifying the configuration files and then at runtime you know change something in proc file system and then hope that everything is going to work sort mm. of shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, absolutely that's not, that's that's not a thing anymore so it used to be well, a thing i think, I think, I think the thing fun. is though yeah, i think the thing is yeah. that you want local developers to be able to develop as if it's production on their local machines and you yeah. can't do that otherwise yeah. can you you can't do that if you're constantly like using production images and patching production images all the time it's like, yeah exactly ah, how do <laughs> yeah. we develop again it's a recipe for disaster down the line so <laughs> yeah. yeah we 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 stopped before we hit some major outage because of it but, <laughs> yeah. but i think but, yeah. repls are great for uh for inspecting running systems though i mean i think you know, even if you're not hot patching them you can Absolutely. still you know debug them and yeah kind of stuff much faster than you can do with log files we absolutely we nice. still use this pattern actually so what we have is we have desic- special nodes uh, mm-hmm. where developers can sync their code and they can start a repl against production data stores all the production data stores mm-hmm. and then they can do whatever they want on that and it's a, a really quick way to like look at data analyze data and uh, write migrators or write uh, data requests fulfill data requests by just making those queries against production and we trust yeah, our developers to be careful right i mean it's mm-hmm. you, it's a double edged sword you have to be careful mm-hmm. with it but yeah. yeah so what are the dark side of um, you know such a large closure code base it being in closure oh so if there many, is any so many no problems. so many oh my god <laughs> so many problems uh. Uh, so this repl driven development right oh, uh, i'm sorry it's okay <laughs> <laughs> This is closure propaganda. You, know, you can't say bad things about closure. <laughs> oh my god! So our challenges, one, you know, <laughs> major problem with repl-driven development is that without discipline, nobody ends up writing tests, right? Because you right, just do exactly. it in the repl, it works in the repl, yeah. you move on, and then I don't you know end- what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have like large parts of code which have no tests against them simply because somebody wrote it sometime and. Yeah. didn't do anything about it afterwards and it's a real it's a real pain so that's one mm. example another is uh, what you said vijay right like this lispers tendency to like take a running system and continuously build on top of it yeah 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 that yeah. leads to like really weird domain specific languages and uh, nobody other than the person who actually wrote it can understand it 6 months down the line right uh, <laughs> even the person who wrote it can cannot understand it if he has done a bad mm. job there so <laughs> yeah this the way i like the way i used to talk about it in in office the way we discussed it was as you're learning closure right so you, your mind tends to be continuously blown with all the mm-hmm. new things that you're learning so first you learn about higher order functions and then you're like oh this is great and then you learn yeah. about macros and then everything you write is a macro right mm-hmm. yeah and then some day they bite you really bad in the ass and then mm-hmm. you go back to writing functions and uh, then you're like okay the the right thing to do is to use macros in like the tiniest bits and yeah make sure that you test them and debug them properly but then because of that or every person who is learning closure we have to be especially careful to make sure they're not introducing macros left right and center mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and this comes yeah. from like having existing code bases which have lot of bad macros in them <laughs> so yeah that's i think it's problem. it's uh, it's like you know first rule of macro club isn't it <laughs> but it's it, it feels like you know it's a very powerful that means suddenly you feel like you have this infinite amount of power to do everything 
and every problem looks like i can solve this by code writing code you know like it's 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 amazing and at least in closure you have some limitations right i mean you you cannot go all the way like a common lisp or sbcl for example yes. Yes. the 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 macros that there i see like every time i read this book called let over lambda that's like a it's you know, crazy mental yeah. <laughs> yeah like a mental book every time i read like where exactly am i in this stack i have no clue anymore it it feels like you know i'm high and hallucinating and this mm-hmm. is like a maze of I, I have, code generating code i have never actually gotten through let over lambda like i have never been able oh. to complete it because it just like goes way over my head that like you know trust yeah. me i mean i i <laughs> i i keep reading it again and again to understand it better every time but it's at least in enclosure what i see is that we don't have that level of you know quote and quote power that you have in 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 lisp you know is it like uh, the so, um, like the the veda of uh <laughs> yeah it's the impenetrable recursive you know macro <laughs> land that once you get in you cannot get out sort of thing but it's yeah. a it's a really nice book though i mean i can i can recommend uh, if you want to have some sort of a mind bending macro magic you know uh, macromancy if we can call mm-hmm. that but it's a uh, it's fun anyway but uh, that's that's nice with closure right i mean you you can't go to that level that that you can you can do plenty damage <laughs> you, you, it's, it's it's pretty bad so yeah, yeah. you don't need to go to that level to write uh, bad code mm. uh, i mean one more uh, the thing is so what happens is that these uh, libraries right um not just macros like even if you take libraries like say code.async or mm. uh, uh, even component for that matter right mm-hmm. uh, people if they come from different programming languages it, I mean I still don't understand lots of parts of closure right I I I mm. still uh, like if I read joy of closure I'll find something which I like which will click in a different way today because I'll be like oh finally I get this mm. right mm. so yeah. they come with their own idea of how to write code and they don't really understand um the complexities of these libraries and you end up with bad code so mm. uh, unless you have like uh, uh really enlightened people reviewing stuff all the time there's a high tendency that these things specifically i have seen it with core async and component you can have really bad code in there which just like just messes up the whole thing and uh, yeah. makes it really hard to debug really hard to reason about it under scale and uh, very confusing stuff and and how do you contain these things because obviously you know these are tools right i mean these are these are very powerful and um you have to have a sort of a discretion to 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 figure out when to use this one right and so how do you encourage people to um reduce their enthusiasm and then <laughs> use the right tool for the right thing so um common patterns are really important right mm. so we have like these uh, talks weekly talks in in the office where somebody will talk about some small problem that they have solved and uh, mm. the intention behind that is just to like highlight patterns good patterns right mm. so uh, then what you do is you kind of figure out a way to put all this magic stuff like if you're going to do real magic with kora sync or with kafka streams or whatever yeah contain that into as small an amount as possible of your mm. code base and test that part really well right mm. and then make like usable uh, interfaces to do these, hmm. these things that other people can use and they can treat them as libraries or they can treat them as um recipes which mm-hmm. are already available to them right and use them and 
be very strict about okay if you're going to step out of this pattern uh, you need to involve some people like don't just write what comes to your mind like this is a set yeah. pattern if you if you genuinely have a use case which does not fit in this pattern we need to have a discussion uh, mm-hmm. and understand what the uh, what the next step to take there is so yeah. that is something that we are doing to mm. to go back and fix all the things that are problematic nice so how does that actually work in practice do you have like a, a kind of like a what should we say like a closure elders council that uh you know where you kind of have <laughs> the great and the good of help shift that can like like the jedi of closure you know go out there and help to solve the problems uh so we had a mono a monolith code base we had right. one which became right. a giant code base uh, today it stands at uh 500000 lines just shy of 500000 oh, okay. lines some 485000 lines or something mm-hmm. like that of closure code okay and oh, uh, yeah <laughs> and uh, then at one point in time uh, we started uh, building new services like we we started saying okay this thing will be a new microservice right mm. and then the first few microservices that we built we would just blindly copy code from the monolith we would just say okay these are right. things we have solved right. in there let's just copy it put it in there and get on with our lives right and then eventually we got to a point where we were like okay if we want to fix these patterns we need to abstract them out into like libraries mm-hmm. and things like that which all these microservices can use mm-hmm. um and we need to think about breaking that monolith up into microservices if we want to make it faster or uh, mm-hmm. more agile mm-hmm. so today the approach we take is um we don't have too many microservices we don't because they have their own problems and sure. uh, that we we discovered those as well right because we said let's do microservices problems, yeah. yes extreme operational problems uh, so today we do like a, a modularization within our monolith right so mm-hmm. we have like this tooling that we have built to say that okay this is how you define a module and this is how you contain code within that module and uh, this is how you expose an api for this module that other modules can use and this is a strict dependency graph within these modules that only this type of module can uh, depend on this other type of module and things like that right so and this is all enforced by external tooling that we have written right so um, that is the happy middle path that we have found so Mm-hmm. it's it's it isn't easy to pull microservices out of the monolith because it's mm-hmm. just too much work involved uh, and uh, if you're starting new microservices then we have like some libraries that we're using and that we are like saying okay here are our common patterns for example for doing logging for doing settings for uh, accessing kafka uh, if you're writing kafka consumers here are all the patterns you need to know right mm-hmm. and use these libraries and within the uh, monolith uh, here is this modularization technique and use that right so yeah. that's basically uh, apropos the monoliths because i mean in my experience of kind of like looking at monoliths the biggest problem with monoliths usually is they have one database and everyone's doing all kinds of shit on it um or you know so it's basically you have readers and writers inside of the monolith and um it's kind of like impossible to structure to to pull it apart but if you're if you're doing kind of like event driven services haven't you kind of got the tools to start to pull it apart because you have kafka in the middle so you can kind yeah. of like so that so we are basically at 30 services 30 35 services right now right and right. uh that's basically the approach we have taken like we have right, right. like i said we used to have a giant future now everything inside that future is going out into its own service basically right, right? right. 
but there are two three problems one is um, middleware so hmm. for request response services which majority of our services inside the monolith are right they all have a common middleware stack hmm. right so part of it is first you have to pull the middleware out into its hmm. own library which is yeah. a non trivial problem sure then you have authorization and authentication so that is a common stack that people are using and then if right. you pull all of that out then you have to uh, think about how these tokens are going to pass between different services and right. solve that problem right mm. um then we have like common utilities for like the way that we do audit trails and uh, the way that we do uh, events these are all common things which everything in the monolith can just use but right. uh, to pull it out into microservice means it has to be something else right mm. so that's one aspect of it another aspect of it is that uh, with so many files of closure code badly written monolith code means that a change in one file can potentially affect lots and lots of other places mm. right yeah. because you have like hundreds of files which are each depending on each other in a very badly organized way uh so this is something that we kind of surfaced that we kind of saw when we decided to fix our test timelines right so our right. integration test started taking a lot of time to run so we said okay let's fix it and the first optimization that we thought about was that let's only run the tests for the files which are modified hmm. right so now you so we wrote a little bit of utility which said okay here are the files which are modified in the commit find all the transitive dependencies and only run those tests right and Makes then sense, you yeah. discover yeah then you discover that this one file which you have mm-hmm. causes you to run all the tests because it's yeah, used yeah, everywhere yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's a good so signal are, though yeah you can yeah. read those signals and kind of uh see work for yourself yeah yeah those are great refactoring points actually hmm. so those are the right places where you need to be refactoring and and rewriting your code hmm. yeah that's great so how do you do that incidentally i mean you know do you, do you said you've written a bunch of tools because you know that's kind of interesting um well, how do you how do you do that how do you kind of like come to build these tools because obviously these are tools for yourself for your engineering team they're not yes. like for the customers so so how do you kind of like how do you motivate yourself to write these tools and how do you justify to yourself or do people just write them and say i've written this thing it's better you know <laughs> But honestly speaking actually that has happened quite a few number of times yeah, where yeah. people are just like hey like i have done this and it solves this problem and please yeah. use it right like i mean this yeah, yeah, is horrible yeah, good yeah <laughs> and, and i'm i'm glad that that happens like that's really a good thing uh, but uh, the the thing with tooling is that like once the problem becomes bad enough only like then everybody is up in arms then they're like hey like i don't want to wait 3 hours for my test run right right mm-hmm. it's just like yeah. we have allowed it to get to 3 hours that's the first thing that we have like you know we shouldn't have done but we have yeah sure but yeah. now you have to fix it and then mm. that pressure builds to say okay we really need to like put one engineer aside for like one quarter and get that person mm. to just focus on this problem mm. and make some improvements there and because uh, yeah. there's a visible productivity gap basically so you can justify it at that point yes absolutely you can say that hey look these uh, these features are going to ship faster Hmm. uh because of this because people are like you know they're not going to lose context which is the worst thing that can happen yeah so yeah. we had this like pattern emerging where people would push their commits into review before going home and then go home because the test took so long right mm-hmm. and that's really bad that's that's a disaster yeah. so what are your speaking of tools then um what are your 
workhorses so far. Um, there must be a lot of libraries that you're using in your in your code base, right? I mean, there are some things that uh, that are, that are, that were not there ten years ago, for example, uh, yeah. because closure ecosystem has has evolved at a, at a rapid pace. I would say there are new things coming in and new ways of doing things coming in uh, every now and then. So, if you see the uh, current stack that you have, current code base that you have, so what would be the ones that you are really dependent on, and how they are helping you, you know, running help shift. Uh, so we wrote uh, initially we wrote a lot of the uh, libraries ourselves right one of the things mm-hmm. I feel really bad about is we never open sourced any of this work we just wrote enough to solve our problem and mm-hmm. uh, we moved on and uh, mm-hmm. I think that's I think this is another thing that a lot of people in closure world do they'll just solve their own tiny little problem and move on so also yeah. the reason why we have so many re-implementations of the same thing mm-hmm. uh Instead of like something I've observed in other programming communities is that people, um, they rally behind one framework or they like yeah. something gains critical mass, which mm-hmm. I don't yes. think happens in closure. Um, yeah, for there example, certain, there are certain things aren't there, like ring that does that, but I agree, yes. I mean, you know, a lot of people will, because it's, I mean, it comes back to the curse of list that we were talking about earlier on, you know, because it is relatively straightforward to implement these things. People don't necessarily want to or be owned by someone else's code, you know. And in fact, there's almost a culture around that of saying, you know, I don't don't take on a dependency, you know. Yeah. Don't don't use someone else's code because there's. I mean, you know, and, and even these days, you know, in these recent months, the software supply chain bullshit that's coming out, you know, everyone's like in the closure world. It's like, yeah, we told you about that. Don't, <laughs> <laughs> don't take other people's code. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But then that that's the problem. Like it stops things from being full featured. Yeah, that's, that's um, right. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so we wrote those kind of things. But I, I mean, ring is something that we we cannot we cannot. I can't imagine Avoid. my life without. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with so, uh, so we only have closure on the back end. I don't have any experience of like closure script. Um, mm. When Closure Script came out, our front-end engineers evaluated it, and they were like, "No, we're not going to do it." I think this was in the very initial version of Closure Script. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Well, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, at that point, yeah. I think we're, now you have Shadow CLJS and stuff like yeah. that. It's it, the tooling is a lot better, but right. you know, was yeah, a hard agreed. sell, I think. Yeah, and also with Reframe, there is, as you were mentioning, like there is a kind of a critical mass around Reframe and this mm. kind of development mm. now, and, and because there was a time where there was like all these weird ways of wrapping React. Like there are like mushrooms, like there are 20 different libraries showing up. Everybody's thinking, yes, you know, we're doing it slightly differently than than other folks. And um, that's that's something kind of gravitated towards one now. Uh, we have Reframe and, you know, Reagent in the, in the back end and then, well, back end of the front end. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I think that there's kind of a consolidation happening there. But the rest of the places, I think it's always, um, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there is still no... Um, just as you mentioning, like, you know, there is no Django, there is no Rails that, you know, entire community is just putting writing plugins and, you know, following the same pattern everywhere. So there is always, oh, you, you're between integrant or, you know, slash duct, and then you're between Yada right. and then something else. And there, there is always a, uh, you know, choice available, which is a good thing and which is a bad thing, you know, like it, yeah. it's a difficult balance to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we got stuck with component, which, uh, <laughs> uh, like honestly i don't enjoy it very much uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but uh, that's something that we did and 
yeah. I I'm like we are looking into integrant now but uh, mm. component is something that we just have too many things around so we mm. wrote more protocols that component should have by default mm. and then each of our components implements those protocols so the change is quite significant for us mm. yeah uh, yeah okay yeah I think that's what, uh, as you mentioned before, like once you once you have the product fit, you know, fit then product market fit, then it is very difficult to justify rewriting code because you know there is there is business, there is serious stuff yeah. running on top of the code base, then there is not much happening. But um, so to to oh wow, uh, we're pretty much. I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure it's like uh, past midnight in India. Well, we started past midnight already. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. almost two a.m. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> we don't want to keep okay. you like forever but um just just a few things to before we wrap up and so i see that you have a uh, foundation db library and yeah. uh, do you guys use foundation db in production because i heard a lot of good stuff about it but you know there is not enough you know uh reason for me to use it yet cuz still yeah. feels like kind of a key value store for me it is it is it's a key value store yeah. with like full asset transactions which is a huge thing yeah mm. yeah um, yeah it's amazing i i love foundation mm. db uh, i wish mm. we would use it in production uh, yeah. so we made the giant mistake uh, i mean i can only say this in hindsight it was great yeah, for us of to of course in, yeah, <laughs> you know, in, when you are doing it you don't know that okay we are going to make uh, a nice mistake today and like, <laughs> obviously <laughs> so we we invested like heavily yeah we invested heavily in mongodb um, yeah. and uh, we did that during paisa time so paisa's mm. architecture was uh, stock trades coming in right so it was mm-hmm. like just one after the other stock trades things like that that are happening and and mongodb yeah. made sense in in that yeah. context right mm. uh, but then we we did this we moved into this mm. in app crm space and uh, mm. that is a fully relational like uh, mm. layout schema but yeah. we stuck with mongodb and oh. uh, and then we didn't see the problems until we scaled out i mean until we yeah. actually started having real customers and ever since we've been trying to move away from mongodb and like giving up on it right like oh, this is just too much work it's fine we'll just stay with what we have yeah. so one of those was foundation like one of the things that i had explored was foundation db and uh, okay. primary reason for doing that was that it has a fully mongo wire compliant api um right. so you can just in theory you can just swap out mongodb with foundation db and it should just work yeah. um yeah. but uh, by that time we had been bitten enough by so the majority software that we have we have mongo we have postgres we have elastic search kafka redis um <laughs> on the on the product side this is the majority okay and yeah. then on the data side we have flink and spark uh, yeah. so there we had been bitten enough number of times by not having uh, enterprise support so right. one of the requirements that we had at the architecture level was that anything we uh, choose should have enterprise support and foundation yeah. db doesn't have enterprise support yeah yeah so that's pretty much the reason why we didn't go ahead with that mm. but it's a i use it for my personal project so i have like a personal passion project that i do at home uh, mm. for managing my finances it's a stupid thing it doesn't need a uh, for, it doesn't need foundation mm. db for sure <laughs> <laughs> it could be fine hey, you 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 won't have scaling problem when you become gazillionaire you know <laughs> so it like could have been be anymore yeah yeah <laughs> it could But have been sequelite thing you mean <laughs> i mean sequelite is also like pretty fancy it could have just been files <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so nice nice right, yeah. 
So um, just, just to wrap up then, um, I know, you know, uh, there is this enclosure uh, happening, like uh, there was this, uh, what is it? Uh, is it the closure conference in uh, in India? Yes. Um, yeah. So how do you guys participate in the community? Do you have any plans to open source or because it, I mean, it's, it's one of the, I, I can, I can say that it's one of the most mature closure company, right? So you have lots of practices to bring in. You have lots of ideas mm. to bring in. Um, how do you see like things like closures together and all these community things happening? Because you're also, you, you have vested interest in having closure longevity, right? Like you, you want to have closure programs available. So how do you, how do you see this and how do you want to participate or how do you participate already? So my my little rant that I wanted to make on this podcast is you mm-hmm. have had so many guests. You should ask them why they are not contributing to Cider and see a closure is together. And <laughs> Good we, point. Yeah. I mean, I don't get it. We are a really tiny company out of India and mm-hmm. we are the top contributors on Cider as a company. Like mm-hmm. we have given them the most amount of money. Why? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah. Why are there not people who are like Cider at, is definitely worth that like they mm. deserve that money and yeah. uh, closure is together also i mean i closure is mm. together has a lot of people funding them for sure but mm. it could do with more and uh, yeah. that's something that should be done at the very minimum uh, mm. i mean if you're doing open source work then you're already putting your time and whatever yes, yes. you're, you're already contributing yeah. in, in a different way yeah 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 mm. So yeah. in closure, we organize with nilenso nilenso and us mm-hmm. have been organizing it for the few years that it has been uh, happening yeah yeah. Uh, it's a very tiny conference at the moment, um, mm. but uh, we plan to continue doing it. Uh, in coronavirus, it, that has completely knocked us out. Uh, like it didn't yeah. happen in 2021. It won't happen mm. in 2022, I think. Uh, mm. But hopefully, it'll restart in 2023. Yeah. And uh, do we get a standing invitation to come and uh, podcast from Closure, from Inclosure? Oh, absolutely, live from Inclosure. Exactly. You no, know, it would be great. You know. <laughs> Absolutely, that, that, get a standing invitation. That'll be amazing. <laughs> I think. Uh, I, I think that's that's that'll be amazing. I think me and Ray will be showing up there, and, and Ray and I. I don't know how do you say that. Is it Ray and I or me and Ray or Ray and Ray and I? Ray and I. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, so he's he's the king of Indian closure. So you have to be very careful with your uh, grammar. <laughs> <laughs> I think I mean, you know, we'll was, be there in the films. It was the king and I. You know. So yeah, totally. And then we're gonna we're gonna eat. Uh, what's that? Modak again? Yes, um, Ukdiche Modak. Ukdiche Modak, and then eating that one. You know, people can listen to our ASMR eating, you know, mm. Indian sweets, <laughs> and then enjoy the podcast from there. So hopefully, you know, things are gonna get better. Well, things will always get better. You know, as we say in India, all is well. Yeah. <laughs> if it is not at the end, then it is not well. <laughs> it's not the end yet. You know, if it is not well, so um, th- th- there'll be. Uh, there is certainly a bright light at the end of the tunnel. Um, anyway, on that uh, happy note, uh, thanks a lot, Vedang, for for joining us in this uh, you know crazy hour, and uh, you know uh, walking us through all this building a company around closure. One of the one of the first companies, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and adopting it, and then also you know, I'm gonna uh, double down on helping people to shift into closure. No, <laughs> I like that. Kind I of like thing. that. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. nice. <laughs> but, but I so, think you're so right. Maybe it's, what, maybe it's what we should do. We should learn, take a lesson from this. And you know, we don't prepare very much, but we should like, like write down some like standard questions. What was your journey? Da 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 da. Like BJ likes to do. You know, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, but also, we should say, 
What's with your journey? Why the fuck aren't you paying more money into cider? And why the hell aren't you paying more money into closures together? And what? Yeah, why are so, you yeah, not using Emacs? What the fuck? But, but that, yeah. said, uh, <laughs> that one for sure. Now you know. So we'll be we'll be using your spirit in future podcasts for Dang. That's for sure. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, thanks a lot. And and a special thanks to um, Aditya Atalye, um, you know, yeah. for for you know looping you in and poking mm, us. Yeah. And hopefully, Aditya, you're listening. Uh, thanks a lot for bringing um, you know uh, Vedang onto into the loop. So this has been a amazing episode, and uh, it's really nice to hear from you. And hopefully, there will be more and more closure opportunities showing up in India, and uh, that will give us uh, a chance to you know come to India and then eat some uh, Indian. sweets as they say <laughs> on that um happy note um this is episode number 80 and thanks again vedang uh, for for joining us all right thank amazing. you guys yeah it's been great thank you yeah thanks thank you for listening to this episode of defan and the awesome vegetarian music or the track is melon hamburger by pizzeri and the show's audio is mixed by walter dullert i'm pretty sure i butchered his name Um maybe you should insert your own name here Dalit. Wouter. If you'd like to support us, uh, please do check out our Patreon page and you can show your appreciation to all the hard work or the lack of hard work that we're doing. And um you can also catch up with uh, either Ray with me for some unexplainable reason. Uh you want to interact with us then uh, do check us out on Slack, Closure in Slack or Closureverse or on Zulip. or just at us at defen podcast on twitter enjoy your day and see you in the next episode